This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 25 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm joined with Wayne Riley from Safety Insights. Hi, Wayne. G'day, Brendan. Thanks for agreeing to come on the show today. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what Safety Insights does and how you're involved with the health and safety industry. Uh, well, I've um, moved out of uh, um, senior positions in the corporate world to start my own business. Um, one or two redundancies <laughs> along the way, I just thought, well, I'll have a crack myself. Um what I do really, I boil it down to being a complex problem solver. So a complex safety problem solver and most safety problems are complex. Um, most of my business is people who know me or know of me. I'd obviously like to uh, uh, find new clients as well. But um, yeah, most of my business, people who know me or know of me and um, know what I do. And, um, you know, they've generally... Uh, got a safety problem they can't quite put their finger on and so what what was your when you worked uh for other businesses what what industries were you working in well i actually started life uh 15 years in the royal australian air force um, oh right that's a great way I, I i find that's a common thread with a lot of safety people they come out of the the services yeah so i was an engineer um and uh, maintenance engineer on F-111s uh, my whole career. Oh, wow. And, um, well, being in the aerospace and not just military aerospace but aerospace industry generally, I mean, safety is part of an engineer's job. Uh, it's an outcome that's expected along with quality, airworthiness. So it was kind of natural and towards the end of that career, um, I, I studied my lifelong passion in environmental science while I was in the Air Force and um, also did a uh, Bachelor of Occupational Health and Safety. And towards the end, as I got promoted, I helped the uh, at least the flying squadrons of the Air Force transition into uh, civil accreditation as maintenance uh, organisations and... Um, and that meant uh, becoming a national aerospace assessor and revising all the quality, safety and uh, competency processes. Wow. Okay. And so what That's was what the I'm next step? Yeah, the next step was, um, uh, well, as, I, as you get promoted, the unfortunate thing is you, you get postings. And I, I had a young family and um, uh, I got a posting down to Canberra, so I decided to get out at that point at the 15-year mark. And um, from there, I, I moved into a uh, small consultancy that had big clients that um, showed me the ropes in construction and mining, major projects. That would have been quite quite cool. So you're sort of like government and then going to the other side uh, to like a private business. Yeah, and it was very diverse as well. They were a very solid uh, little consultancy. A couple of ex-military guys, um, mostly engineers from the military, um, ex-National Safety Council kind of guys, yep. and they really showed me the ropes. And um, 
yeah, got to do a lot in mining and construction. Um, in a classroom quite a bit, teaching um, workplace assessment and training, safety officer training, mining um, safety training. And oh, then, uh, so were, were, they, were they a registered training organisation or...? They were, yeah. Oh, okay. Who, who was that, just as a matter of interest? Well, they were called Australian Safety and Learning Systems. They still are, uh, but um, all, the, uh, all the old guys that used to own it have moved on. Yeah, right. Now. And are they, are they Queensland-based? Yeah, I believe they are. Still. Right. Okay. okay, so you sort of... All that knowledge that you'd built up, I guess, took that to teaching people. Yeah, and um, from there I was uh, poached by one of their clients and um, so I became, um, ended up becoming head of health, safety, environment and quality for Oricon Hatch, which was formerly Connell Hatch. Yep. So delivering, uh, you know, major infrastructure projects as, um, you know, the EPCM, the Engineer Procurement Construction Management uh business so did some major projects with them and did some um uh, global projects with the with one of the parents oricon and then uh, from there i um there was a bit of a downturn around the gfc and um, the major projects just weren't coming so i um decided to want to get my hands dirty and uh, i became um head of uh, health safety environment and training with Golding Contractors, which uh, was an RTO as well. Uh, oh, okay. Right. That, that's interesting, you uh, sort of going between, I guess, industry then to, you know, teaching people back to industry then when you got to Golding, it's teaching again. Well, were you teaching oh, or you were, no, no, you, were no, running no, their, you were running their RTO? Uh, yeah, yeah, the RTO was, was running pretty well before I got there. <laughs> But I headed okay. up health safety, mainly health and safety. So, um, you know, group manager, health and safety environment. Yeah. And uh, the training uh, came under me. So, um, and they so, and, so, and, um, and um, operator competencies and things like that. And so were they effectively just training? Because Golding, as I remember, like big contractor workforce, were they essentially training the contractors? So that, they would, yeah, they would be training their own people. Yep. Um, so it was like a enterprise enterprise RTO. Yeah, within yeah, which is rare for a contractor, and um, but mainly the a big civil and and uh, mining contractor, and um, from there I went on to Rio Tinto. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually applied to get a job at Rio Tinto. Um, before I'd left um, uh, Oricon. And um, it, the funny thing was it was one of those um, situations, well, we, we don't think you've got enough experience for this role or, or you know, uh, a particular experience because it was in bauxite and alumina. And I hadn't had a lot of that sort of operational experience in that field at that time. And um, it was one of those situations where they, I thought it was don't call us, we'll call you. If something comes up, uh, but uh, it was about a year after where they called me and um, offered me uh, uh, a job as global principal advisor, safety and risk. Oh, amazing! And I, I took that 
And that yeah. was actually the best job uh, with a with a corporate that I'd ever had. It was uh, basically um, thought leadership role. So um, all operations around the world and and companies that they own, and uh, yeah. a lot of it was helping uh, emerging businesses in Africa and Asia and the Americas um, sort of come up to speed. Oh, that must have been really satisfying being able to you know, think big picture and also make a difference. Yeah, yeah, uh, think big picture and uh, get in and um, uh, and help businesses on the ground as well. It was really good. It was a good role. Um, unfortunately, uh, the role was made redundant in, <laughs> in about uh, uh, 2014. So okay. Since then. Uh, uh, so that was the, you said you mentioned a couple of redundancies. That was the, f- was that the first one or? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then from Rio Tinto, my own business. Uh, oh, okay, okay. So, so that's when Safety Insights uh, came into play. Yes, yeah. That's when it was born. Okay, out of, out of necessity. I mean, it sounds like you've had some amazing uh, different exposure to different industries, and um, so that you know puts you in a fantastic spot to to um you know put some of your ideas into play so what 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 do you think uh before we we got on the call we were talking about some of the things that um companies well you were saying that safety consultants sometimes make it quite complicated when it can be reasonably straightforward and there's some basic things that companies need to stop doing or they can put into practice to start seeing some results shall we talk about that Sure, sure. Yeah, so, well, you know, with uh, with the background like that, diverse background, I've had the, um, I don't know whether you call it fortunate or unfortunate, but I have um, investigated quite a few very serious incidents around the world, um, fatalities um, and um, horrible accidents like that. Um, and so you, you get to see, uh, you get to, you do get to learn a lot by doing that. And um, I find that uh, one of the big problems I think with safety is just too many solutions. Uh, I think people follow that natural human tendency. Consultants, managers, leaders in business say they follow that human tendency to just jump to a solution. Uh, yeah, I think it was Einstein who said if I had. 60 minutes to solve a problem, a complex problem to save the world, I'd spend 55 minutes understanding the problem and five minutes on the solution. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's true. Um, Yeah. There is so many solutions and people jump. It's almost this mono-causality for a safety problem. It's almost, it's always, it's got to be behaviour, these broad labels that they put on things like it's got to be the work of behaviour or it's got to be the safety culture, but they don't define what that is. They just lump it in that big category. And I think a lot of people can go into a safety problem with this nice little briefcase full of solutions, but unless they really understand the problem, and and, and, and it is a complex problem, but some very simple steps that you need to follow, basic science, to solve that problem. And a lot of people don't go through that. And, and so end up solving the wrong problems more more often than not. So they're just applying Band-Aids uh, without 
seeing what the actual root cause is. Yeah, or, or they're uh, applying very big, broad brush, expensive programs um, that often end up doing little about tangible risks. Yeah. Um, to me, the, the simple, if you, if you have a look at um, industries or organisations uh, that are best practice, high reliability, high safety, high quality, uh, they all have a few things in common. Um, they've got very, very robust uh, risk identification and controls and control management. So I'll call that risk control. They've got very, very good operating discipline. So operating discipline being, you know, they've got the right people, uh, trained, competent, doing the right job uh, the best way every single time. And that's all a function of leadership. So if I was to put it into a, uh, an equation, it would be leadership outside of brackets, risk control plus operating discipline equals safe, quality, reliable outcomes without damage or loss. So I think a lot of people think, uh, you know, safety is an input. It's something they can do or add. Uh, but it's not. It's actually an outcome. It's just the opposite of damage, loss, low quality, low production. So, um, you know, the same things that get you high quality, high reliability, good production and profit are the same things you need to do to get good safety. They're all interrelated. So so how do you, I mean, I kind of get it if you're a smaller business, but with these really big businesses, isn't it tricky to get the... Effectively, to get the if the boat's going one way and it's the wrong way, how do you get it to turn around? Because you would have seen you would have seen some of this in the bigger organisations you worked for, I guess. Yeah, I have, and um, you know the organisations that haven't got that operating discipline established well, they haven't got those, or they don't understand their risk controls well and manage and monitor them well, and, you know, they've got inconsistent leadership. Um, you're right. It is very hard to turn the boat. They often look to the workforce and say, well, it must be their culture. But, you know, human beings have always, we've always operated in groups, right? Um, you know, tribes, hunter-gatherers. Um, so leadership's always been key to that. So, uh you know, they'll, they'll talk about from the top-down leadership. Well, leaders at the front line are doing the right things. Um, it makes a big difference to safety, but they need the leaders above them to allow them to do that. So quite often you see these competing pressures. You've got uh, general managers and chief operating officers um, up in arms about safety performance on one hand, but on the other hand, they're not allowing their supervisors, superintendents and middle management, um, you know, the time, uh, they're not giving them the capability or the resources to actually lead in safety. How, how critical is the training component? And I guess, you know, I'm just wondering what sorts of training can make a difference because you, you've talked about leadership but then I guess there's also, you know, just core skills as well. Um, I don't know, like a partic particularly around, I, I don't know, like licence-based 
stuff that people have to do on the job? Yeah, well, look, I, I think you're right. It's it's twofold. So there's the softer skills of leadership, um, but there's also those core skills in and around. So a good leader uh, needs to understand, you know, what their people do, and they need to understand implicitly the risks associated with that. They need to understand how to actually manage those risks, what is the best practice around at the moment to manage those risks, and there's often plenty out there. Uh, and, and then they need to make sure that the people are doing it. They, they don't need to be there all the time. They, they need to probably concentrate on being there at the right time uh, with those skills uh, to make a difference to safety. And quite often you find um, they can go off and, and do leadership courses and things like that. But um, more often than not, it's good old-fashioned coaching of leaders on the ground uh, in what they do. Um, and, and did you find that, though, like, let's say Rio Tinto, not not picking on them, but just because they're a, a bigger organisation, do they have a, a like, um, are they training all the time, their staff, and coaching? And Yeah, well, like any organisation of that size and scale, they've got pockets of brilliance and, and then pockets of not so great. So, um, uh, And then they've got uh, a lot of uh, pockets where they need uh, good is the enemy of great. You know, they think they're doing well. <laughs> but then, uh, you know, oh, well, we're all good. We're complying and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and um, but then they're still having problems. So yes, they do do a lot of training. Where you find there's very strong leadership, um, you know, especially at the general manager level, and uh, that person has the authority uh, that they need uh, to change things when they need to change them. You'll find that they're the pockets of brilliance, or end up being mm. of brilliance, or, or the the great outcomes in terms of production, reliability, quality and safety. I think, um, you know, the, the operating discipline is a big part of it. There's, a, there's quite often, um, you know, broad standards and procedures and, and uh, a lot of organisations tend to start there, but they're kind of written in isolation from the work. If you go to aircraft maintenance, for example, you don't have safety procedures or necessarily safety management systems. You have procedures and management systems, and they are the best available knowledge and practice that the organisation has at the time. So a lot of organisations don't do the work to get on the ground and actually proceduralise different tasks. Um, I see in mining all the time... Um, people doing job hazard analysis again and again and again for the same job. And, and often it's uh, fairly poorly done. Uh, they don't seem to proceduralise what they do. Um, and then, uh, I guess, get the operating discipline around it, doing it the right way time and time again. So it has to be integrated, in other words. It's like... What you do is just safe by nature. Is that? Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's what uh, you know. Um, one of the models calls a generative culture. It's it's just the way we do business. Well, it's about the actual work, isn't it? It's it's uh, not about a safety form or. Um, and quite often you see uh, programs where they say, well, the leaders have to get out there more. That's how we'll get better safety if the leaders are out there more, and they'll create these. 
checklists so that, you know, senior leaders can go out and do these safety observations that are kind of a little bit false at times and they're, they're not really natural sort of leadership. Um, whereas, you know, good leaders will will be out there already and they'll be taking their natural opportunities to lead, like when they sign off on a permit uh, to work or, or, or things like that. They don't need to create artificial opportunities if they if leaders understand well what it is to be a leader. It's mm. it's leadership by walking around, talking to your people, understanding, you know, how they do the job, what do they know, what do they not know, what do they do, what do they not do, what equipment do they have, is it effective, you know, what features are present or absent in the work environment that can create risk and then manage those. And so is it sometimes quite simple to make a difference? Like, I don't know, you get a consulting gig, you come in and is it sometimes really obvious where companies are going wrong? Yeah, well, it, it's almost always obvious, um, you know, by their performance. Uh, and, it, you know, it's not as if um, uh, a company having a lot of accidents, you know, it, it's not obvious that they've got a safety problem. But I, I think safety is a complex problem with business uh, and um, complex problems are made up of many component problems. So uh, going out and actually uh, asking the right questions in the field naturally with people doing what they do and having the open and honest feedback, uh, it, it's like science, science 101. It's, it's getting the data, you know, making the objective observations and, and, and collecting any performance data that they have and analysing it, forming and testing a hypothesis and then, uh, you know, coming up with, well, what do we need to do uh, to address these problems? And yeah, often, uh, often it's in design and uh, the design of the workplace or the equipment or even how they're configuring their people, equipment and environment to do the work. Yeah, that all, that all makes really good sense. Um, I'll give you an example um, that, that might make a little bit more sense is... Um, I went into a uh, rec uh, recycling plant and the same things happen in a couple of manufacturing plants now where they were having problems with the isolation of equipment. So a lot of people call it lockout tagout. And um, there have been several people look at these problems and, and one, of the, one of the consultants or, or, or people within the company had revised all the procedures and they did... Uh, more or less a 4801 uh, standard revamp of the management systems and safety systems and things like that. But they kept having the problem. Uh, another person came in and said, well, it's, it's all the workforce, you know. They need some retraining and things like that. So they did that and the problem still started to happen. When you looked at it and you spoke to the engineer, you spoke to the electrician, you spoke to the operations people and you spoke to some of the workers, you found out that there have been changes in the plant and some automation, uh, and just reading the electrical circuits, you could see that the isolations simply weren't effective, even if you did them to the procedure. Things were starting and stopping quite on their own by remote signal. 
And so <laughs> that's a good example of like you can go in with these solutions. Well, it must be the workers, you know, they're making mistakes or it must be the systems, they're not good enough. Um, but the real problem was modifications to the equipment. And yeah, take, and take a, the time. a mismatch between the policies and, and what's actually happening on the ground. Correct, correct, correct. And the funny thing is sometimes the, the engineers might know it, the operations people might know it, the sa- the, uh, and the safety people have a different view. Uh, and it's kind of sometimes getting them together to a common understanding of, well, what really is the problem? And <laughs> rolling up your sleeves and, and actually going out and finding out, reading some circuits perhaps, <laughs> if it's, you know, if a mechanical or electrical circuits, piping and instrumentation, it's, it's often not, um, the people are often, uh, can often be victims of the, their work environment or the equipment that they're using. So, sounds like uh, good old-fashioned communication. Yes, yes. That <laughs> can often help. Good old-fashioned scientific inquiry and communication. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, Wayne, well, we're going to wrap up now. I've just got a few short questions for you. Um, uh, How old are you? I'm 48. 48. And uh, what do you like to do to keep fit? Personally, I like going for walks. It's either beach or bush for me. Uh, I I quite like walking. I enjoy surfing when I can, a bit of golf, a bit of tennis, um, but not often enough. Excellent. Okay. And how many hours sleep are you getting each night? Well, I try to get 10. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Not, That's amazing. <laughs> it's often not that. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I try to get at least eight, but it's probably closer to six. Okay, and then um, if you could be remembered for one business achievement, like your legacy, so to speak, what would that be? I would hope it would be safety insights, helping yep. businesses solve problems. Oh, that's that's great. So if people want to find out a little bit more about safety insights, could you share your website for us? Yes, yes. Uh, that's one of the things I'm doing at the moment is, is, is building that. But it's, it's, uh, it's there, ready to go, www.safetyinsights, one word. So that's S-A-F-E-T-Y-I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S.com.au. So www.safetyinsights.com.au. That's brilliant. Okay, Wayne, thanks very much for coming on the show today. You're very welcome, Brendan. Thank you.